Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Karen Odin, author of the new novel, Under a Veiled Moon, an Inspector Coravan Mystery. Publishers Weekly wrote about the novel, Odin never strikes a false note, and she combines a sympathetic lead with a twisty plot grounded in the British politics of the day and people with fully fleshed out characters. Karen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. I love your podcast. Thank you. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your novel, Under a Veiled Moon, how would you describe the novel? Well, I'd say that it rides the line between historical fiction and mystery. Um, on the one hand, it is a story about, um, it's set in 1878 London, and it's a story about an inspector at Scotland Yard who is trying to find out the truth about why a small steamship, the Princess Alice, was rammed by a 900-ton coal ship on the Thames one night um, in 1878. So he's trying to find out the truth of that, and that is the mystery. But really, at the heart, it's a story about Michael Coravin, who's a former thief and bare-knuckles boxer from Whitechapel, which most people think of as Jack the Ripper territory, and his family, uh, his adopted family, which is also Irish, is in trouble, and he has to help them out. And so, um, for people who are listening, the the um, the ship accident that you mentioned that he's investigating mm -hmm. is that based on a real historical incident? Yes, yes. On September third, eighteen seventy eight, there was a small, there was a, actually a fleet of small wooden steamships. Uh, kind of like our hop-on, hop-off tour buses that you have at some cities. And you could ride it all day. You could, for two shillings, you could hop on at London Bridge and ride it all the way out to the North Sea. And then back that evening, you know, hopping on and off to you know, take a picnic or, you know, whatever. And that night uh, in September, the boat is kind of coming up and around the corner of Tripcock Point, which is a blind curve. And the 900-ton coal ship, the Bywell Castle, runs into it. And this is akin to a train running into a baby carriage. It's it, it, it the Princess Alice breaks into three parts, sinks in four minutes, all 650 people are in the water and most of them can't swim. Um, so, uh, and, and the thing is there was no passenger manifest because it's a hop on hop off. And so nobody knows who's on the boat. Wow. Yeah. And I'm curious. I'm curious. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write under a veiled moon? Was it learning about that ship accident or were there other ideas that kind of got woven in as well? You know, it's funny. I think that a lot of authors say that they'll stumble upon sort of a jewel of an idea um, when they're doing historical research, but then they find something else and then they can put the two pieces together. And that's what kind of creates the magic for the idea. So the first piece was the steamship disaster. But the second piece was something that I found when I was investigating, uh, looking at you know, sort of primary sources for Down a Dark River, which was the first book about Michael Coravan. And as I was researching that and realizing um, that he was Irish, I discovered uh, a sort of prevailing um, discourse that was so anti-Irish and so vitriolic and hateful that it didn't really have a place in my first book, but I decided to bring it into my second. Um, I had no idea until I started reading around 
how much anti-Irish feeling there was in 1870s London. So I put that together with the steamship disaster um, to, to create this book. That, that's interesting. And, and as you've mentioned, um, this is kind of a weaving of um, historical fiction as well as a mystery. And I'm, and I'm curious, w- what is your research process as you're writing one of these novels? Oh, it's messy. <laughs> I know some people say, you know, they, they plot the whole thing out and I, that, and, and other people, you know, sort of fly by the seat of their pants. And I, I think I do a little bit of both, perhaps. I wrote my dissertation um, at NYU about 20 years ago on Victorian railway disasters and the injuries that came out of them that were very strange. They, uh, for example, Charles Dickens crawled out of a railway accident in 1865, and he later developed tremors, nightmares, uh, problems with his hearing, uh, memory loss. And we would now call this PTSD, but of course they didn't have that term back then. And medical men, legal men, newspaper men, uh, novelists, they were all trying to talk about these railway disasters and the accidents in a way that made sense. Um, they eventually called it railway spine because they didn't know what to talk about, you know, how kind of how to talk about it. Um, but because of all that research I did into medical and legal documents and the novels and the ephemera that sort of surrounded uh, railway accidents and injuries and stock market crashes and things like that that had to do with the railways, I had a good grounding in Victorian history. And so when it, come, when it came to writing my very first book, in fact, I plundered my dissertation. I put Lady Elizabeth Fraser and her laudanum-addicted mother on a railway train and ran it off the rails in 1874 London. Um, and then I ended up just staying in London because I, I feel like that's, like I know enough that I don't have to sort of reinvent the wheel every time. But when it came to invent, you know, investigating for this book in particular, I spent a lot of time looking at accounts of the railway, dis- of, or I'm sorry, of the tri- of the uh, of the steamship crash and the collision. Uh, there's a book actually um, called The Princess Alice Disaster, which is super helpful. But there are also a lot of newspaper articles and stuff that I could dig up and and look at that. Um, and I could kind of write the first three or four chapters using all of that material. But then I thought, wait, I need I need some more things. And so then I started reading around, um, you know, sort of Irish gangs and Whitechapel history and what else was going on in 1878 London. And then those pieces enabled me to build the next bunch of chapters. So it's it's kind of fluid, I guess you'd say. Interesting. Um, and I'm curious, you, you mentioned your dissertation mm-hmm. at, at NYU about these uh, railroad disasters in, mm-hmm. in the 1800s. What, what were you studying at the time? I was studying uh, English literature. Mm-hmm. And what I was interested in, I came across several accounts of railway disasters in novels. Uh, by fame, you know, by by people who were very mm-hmm. famous then. Um, and what I was actually interested in was the way that all of these different documents, the the medical treatises and the parliamentary reports, the novels, the newspapers, poems, all those kinds of things, created a uh, language and a way of talking about injury that eventually, Freud medicalized in the 1890s to talk about hysteria. 
And then World War I doctors used to talk about shell shock. And we now still lean on a lot of these tropes and terms and ideas to talk about PTSD. So I was interested in looking at sort of the origins of PTSD. And I, I locate it with the railway disasters because that's the first time that medical men and legal men were coming together to try to talk about injury and what it was worth, both in terms of people's lives and in terms of money. So that's where I kind of began there. That's interesting. So I'm curious, what what was your initial fiction writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published? Oh, so I, I wrote a really, really bad novel in my 20s about <laughs> um, some Nazi uh, war loot that had been brought back to the United States by one of the soldiers. It was actually based on a true story that I found in The New Yorker. The New Yorker is a great spot to find like curious factoids. Anyway, so I wrote this terrible book. Uh, it was sort of a mashup between like Robert Ludlum, Mary Stewart, um, <laughs> I don't know, just Nancy Drew. Uh, anyway, so so I wrote that terrible book. And uh, then and I tried to find an agent and, and it didn't work. And eventually I kind of gave up on the fiction writing thing, went back to grad school, wrote critical essays and got involved in the whole academia thing and wrote my dissertation. And then... I was home with my two kids in the sort of 2000s, and I realized I kind of wanted to dig out that old dream of writing a book. But, you know, at the time I was reading a lot of, you know, Goodnight Moon and Corduroy and, and it, <laughs> lovely, lovely as that was, I, I kind of was looking for something a little bit meatier, you know, something to kind of sink my teeth into. And so I thought, well, why don't I dig out my dissertation and use all the, this research that has kind of gone nowhere? Um, so... You know, to some extent, I became a, a fiction writer because I failed at becoming a professor. And <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I wrote, started writing Lady in, what, what eventually became A Lady in the Smoke. And I think that took about, I don't know, eight years, something like that, before I found an agent for it, before I, you know, had a manuscript that was even remotely, you know, well-assembled and, and I could get it to an agent. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And and I'm curious, what was that process for you over the years to get it 
to a point where you could submit it to an agent? Oh, uh, well, first I wrote um, a, a bad draft <laughs> and <laughs> had a lot of people read it and made some corrections and then sent it out. And I got probably 50 rejections from agents, um, some of them outright rejections and some of them just kind of like, some of them didn't even bother to reply. Uh, this is still back in the day when people, we had sent out like a paper Sure. Query letter with ten or fifteen pages, whatever they wanted, out to an agent. Then you you know go to your mailbox every day and hope that somebody would reply. And it was all rejections. And then um, I was just about to give up. I really was. I, I was I was talking to a friend and I said, I think I just need to find something else to do. And she said, you know, why don't you see if you can find a freelance agent to or freelance editor? I'm sorry to help you. You know, maybe she can give you some advice about what you need to do and and that kind of thing. And I did. I found a really wonderful freelance editor, and she helped me get the book in shape. And I submitted it to, I think, 10 agents, a query letter and like, you know, 10 pages or whatever it was. And I had five people who came back at me and said, yeah, we'll take a look at it. I was oh, stunned, completely stunned. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, for example, one of the things is that the, you know, the inciting event is a railway crash. And um, instead of having it at the end of chapter one, which is where it ended up and which is where it belonged, I had it in chapter eight. And, you know, this is a problem. You can't take seven chapters to just sort of meander toward your inciting event. And, and you know, this is the kind of stuff I had to learn. Um, as many novels as I had read, I didn't understand how to write one myself. I needed help with that. That's interesting. So I'm curious, do you do you recommend these days if you're talking to someone who is kind of where you were at that point to to possibly look for a freelance editor to work with? Yeah, I do. And and the other thing I tell them is you find uh, if you can find a critique group or even just two or three people who are beta reader readers you know, for you, you know, people who can say to you, I am finding myself sort of bored with the section. And, and of course that means being in a place where you can hear that, um, you know, as well, you know, to be able to take that in and process it and say, okay, you know, you know, maybe, you know, this person might have a point and how do I make my writing better? And I think that that was one of the big things I had to learn early on was to be deeply committed to the writing process but not to get attached to any of the words that happen to be on a page at any given moment, because they will change and they should change. And that people's feedback is, is really, is really a gift. Um, I've had experience. I, I, I mean, even just with, even with my fourth book, Down a Dark River, I remember giving it to a friend to beta read. And she, there's a scene where Inspector Corvin is listening to a young woman tell him a story and he is, so devastated, he can barely look, he, he can't even look at her. He's, he's like holding himself quiet and trying to breathe, listening to her story. And uh, my friend kind of scribbled along the margin. He doesn't seem at all affected by her story. And I thought, what? <laughs> he's devastated. Like he, he can barely like, he's, he's practically in tears. What are you talking about? And she says, that's not on the page. That's in your head. It's not on the page. And that kind of feedback is is a real gift, I think. And so sometimes that's what you need. You just get it out to two or three trusted friends, you know, people who are good readers, and they can sometimes tell you what, you know, 
how what you think you have on the page isn't quite there yet. Interesting. And I'm curious, are you working on another novel now? I am. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a it's a third core of a novel. I don't know whether I'll, um, whether I'll get a contract for it, but it's a story that's been sort of singing in my head for a while. And so I'm getting it down on paper. It's about um, some young women con artists that were working in 1870s London. And uh, they're going to be formidable opponents to Corbin. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I, I'm curious. I mean, I know, we've, I know we've talked about some of this, but but is there other writing advice that you were, would offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? Um, you know, it's a it's a it's a great question. I think I think I honestly think that some of the advice that I have been listening to as I listen to your podcast over the last few months has been really, um, really wonderful. Um, I've heard, you know, th you know, one of the ones I think that I heard recently was from um, Esther Ehrman. Yes. And she talked about how you have to have faith in yourself, but you also have to get feedback as you go. And there I do believe, you know, that's why, I mean, I've, I've brought up the beta readers and I do believe there's a, there's, it's part of the process for me. I cannot write in a vacuum. I, I can get say 30 or 40,000 words down on the page and then I, I need to pass it off to someone or at least talk about my ideas with someone and say, okay, is this holding together? Does this make sense? Is this character arc working? Um, and, and so I, and it was interesting because I was talking to a friend recently who is also a writer and was also in graduate school with me at NYU. And when I talked to her about how I have a lot of people beta read, but I'm surprised sometimes at how a lot of authors I know don't use beta readers at all. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, you know where that came from, don't you? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, don't you remember in grad school, there were five of us who were all working on our dissertations in Victoria and Lent. And we were working with a professor named Mary Poovey. And each week, one of us would bring 20 to 25 pages um, and present. And everybody else would have read the 20 to 25 pages and they would give their critique. And we had to give a one-page critique and then and talk for two hours. And this was a model that we used in academia, but I actually find it really good for fiction too. For me, at least, it works. That's great. So, so I would just say, you know, be aware that there's a whole community of people out there who are reading and writing and thinking about the same stuff you are and um, not to be uh, unwilling to reach out. That's great. Well, what books have you read recently that you enjoyed, either fiction or nonfiction? Oh, um, one of them is Geraldine Brooks' Horse, which mm -hmm. is a dual timeline story about um, a young man who is a slave in the 1850s and trains a horse, trains a racehorse. And also it, it ties up to the present day through a painting of the two of them together, which I really enjoyed that book. And I read a advanced reader copy of my friend Mariah Frederick's book, The Lindbergh Nanny, which is the story of the Lindbergh kidnapping from Betty Gow's point of view, from the nanny's point of view, which is, I think it's excellent. And it's coming out in November. And then right now I'm also reading Ann Patchett's essay collection, her most recent one, which I really love. I love Ann Patchett's work. I think um, it, this one is called These Precious Days. And I give myself permission to read one essay a day, like candy. 
<laughs> that sounds fun. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? I have a website that links up all of my social media and my uh, newsletter and all that kind of thing. It's www.karenodden, and it's K-A-R-E-N-O-D-D-E-N.com. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Karen Odin, author of the new novel, Under a Veiled Moon, an Inspector Corvan mystery. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Karen, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much. It was great. Wonderful. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries, and with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.